0: Ponpolo. In all the places she might travel on her tour, the town of Ponpolo always felt to the queen the most unwelcoming. Not that it was a hostile place, nor that the Cluricon folk who dwelled there were disrespectful in any way. It was more that the place felt truly alien to her, and here she knew she was an outsider. She reflected on this as the coach crossed a wide, sturdy bridge that spanned the river Lees, The bridge, built from dark wood and large stones, was bedecked with ornate designs, crisp and geometric, carved expertly onto its surface. Peering out past the bridge, over the River Lees, she saw boat traffic moving slowly below. The signature longboats of the Clericon traveled to and from Ponpolo in great numbers, the town marking the convergence of the river with multiple canals. One Cluricón drove his boat down the waterway with the help of a long stick, which he used to push off from the bed of the river, while another boat let out a column of dark smoke and appeared to be impelled by some inner machinery. The canal system was yet further evidence of clericon ingenuity. It was growing slowly, but had begun to allow goods to travel more easily throughout the nearby villages. A group of Cluricón walked animatedly across the ridge, talking quickly amongst themselves. Though small in stature, they commanded respect in their bearing and appearance. The outfits they wore were expertly crafted, each one unique to its owner. A striped vest in fine gabardine, a velvet bowler hat, purple trousers festooned with golden thread. One had a mustache coiffed at each end into two impressive spirals. Coming from the opposite direction, a lady clericon drove a little wagon pulled by a small but capable pony. Seated beside her was a tiny child, and both wore the same style purple riding dress with high boots and matching caps. The woman, who Alyssa presumed to be the girl's mother, had more earrings in each ear than could be counted, small metal studs and cuffs, which caught the light and shone gaily. The wagon was quite full of ceramic jars of all sizes, each stopped with a great cork. On they traveled into Ponpolo, the houses and buildings of the cluracan rising on either side of them. Two- and three-story buildings rose above them on either side of the street, a rare sight out here in the green country. Businesses of all description occupied those spaces on the level of the street, and Alyssa looked to see those which she could identify. A chemist, a builder's shop, a tailor, something which she took to be an herbalist's apothecary and several others which she could only guess at. They passed several Clericon men, who waved excitedly, shouting greetings of welcome. Alyssa realized that they had recognized their coachman, Netcher, who, like most Clericon, had come from Ponpolo. Netcher shouted a joyful greeting back, forgetting for a moment the officious composure he assumed when tending to his duties. She marveled at their strange, insular world, and how they had come to fit in the tangled weave that made up the folk of the green country. They were certainly latecomers to the wood, having only settled there in the first years of the previous house's rule. She hadn't been born yet, but her mother had described the day they first arrived in the forest. A long line of dusty, travel-worn souls began to trickle into the country one morning those tired folk seeming to carry all they owned in rucksacks on small mules and crammed into wagons a single clericon representative entered the great hall of tashmir at tarnsburn and requested an audience with the ruling council this was of course granted immediately as there was much concern and trepidation over the sudden influx of strange folk into their provincial out-of-the-way kingdom News had reached the council weeks earlier when fox scouts on the border had spotted the line of travelers meandering their way towards the wood. They were refugees, though little was known beyond that. Mark Sim Glen entered the ancient and impressive council chambers that day and approached its members with an earnest and purposeful air. He stood with a conviction that commanded respect and spoke with purpose and clarity. His people, the clericon, had been displaced due to yet another war in the eastern reaches, the region where they had held their capital for many centuries. This was not the first time their people had suffered at the expense of greater conflicts in which they were enmeshed as a consequence of their location. The time has finally come, Marksim explained, his small voice filling the chambers with its fervor for my people to find a home far from the endless conflicts of those warring lord kings, a place where they might live in peace, free to flourish in the arts and trades at which they are so adept. He approached Chavarone, lord of the Faisilf house, which ruled at the time, and presented to him a satchel. Chavarone accepted the bag with curiosity and opened it, gazing inside to find a bounty of sun-gold florins more of the shining coins than he could fathom, more wealth than he, nor anyone in the green country, had ever seen. It was then that Chavarone realized he held there in his hands the wealth of an entire people, the totality of their toils, and the cumulative savings of their ancestors long past. Though those glimmering coins were beguiling and intoxicated his inborn lust for treasure, chavarone's wild heart softened at a thing so emblematic an act so symbolic of a people's desire to be free from strife he stood abruptly and strode to the great table where there lay an intricate map of the lands in the green country and called for Marxim and the council to gather round though wary at first the council members abandoned any reservations once they had gazed upon the fortune contained in the clericon's purse chavarone called for wine to be poured For he knew that this planning would be thirsty work and soon enough marksim emerged blinking into the afternoon light head buzzing with the prospect of a new home for his people and perhaps several glasses of strong delson wine chevron though gregarious unpredictable and terrible with money was an honorable sort and he had addressed the circumstances of the downtrodden clericon with particular care a fine place he had chosen for them to settle a tract of land secluded and nestled in the arms of the river Lees. The location was still within the borders of the settled lands, but near enough to the endless Weald so that the forest around still contained traces of that old mystery, that earth magic which made a healing balm of the dew that collected on little leaves in the morning. The land was beautiful there, and indeed Chavarone had fancied it for himself as a place to retire. Let the clericon begin anew in this auspicious place, and their presence will be a boon unto the green country. He spoke these words to Marksim and the council members there in Tashmir Hall, and they had rung out with the resonance of truth. An entourage of sylph, fox, and elfin folk accompanied the travelers further into the forests to the place of their new home. Deep there in the wood, a tent camp quickly sprung up, and with amazing speed a little village soon began to materialize. Those folk native to the Green Country who helped them establishing this town, which would come to be called Ponpolo, were impressed and delighted by what able craftspeople the Clericon proved to be. Eliza reflected on what a beautiful place the town had become as they made their way down an orderly street which was cobbled with carefully moulded bricks. In the ornament and decoration that appeared on clericon buildings, clothing, and wares, she saw echoed back the life of the green country. The distinctive shape of a red oak's leaf, repeated in a beautiful motif around the windows of a home. The sly face of a moss wolf adorning the signage of a favorite corner tavern. The clericon had certainly become a part of the green country, and it too had become a part of them. She would soon be meeting with the town's leader, Rendleberry Glen, a distant relative of its founder, marks him. He was an enthusiastic fellow, always excited to share news of development and discovery with Alyssa. Through his eyes, she was able to see her beloved country with a newness that she treasured. Perhaps, thought Alyssa, feeling of unwelcomeness is not mine alone. Gazing out the window, she spied a small group of Klerikon children at play, "'tossing between them a large red ball. "'She recalled similar games from her childhood. "'The courtship between the Clericon people "'and the green country was a slow dance,' she mused. "'Let our foundations be built on common ground, "'and they will stand the test of time.' "'Soon they had arrived, and the entourage exited the carriage. "'As they did, the queen turned to regard Netcher "'and offered him some words of thanks in the Clericon tongue.' His eyebrows raised, and he gave an appreciative nod. How's my pronunciation, Netcher? she asked. Getting better every day, my queen. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!